This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Welcome to Beyond the Arc. My name is Kevin O'Connor. I'll be joined later by my coworkers Tate Frazier, J. Kyle Mann, and Tyler Parker to talk about the NBA draft. But first, we got to get into the NBA Finals. The Heat and the Nuggets are now tied up one to one after a Sunday night game two win by the Heat on the road in Denver. 111, 108. Jokic had 41 points and only four assists. That type of game he had just dominated post game on Sunday night and then into Monday everybody was talking about well how they defend Jokic what happened Eric Spolstra post game on Sunday shut down the notion that they were trying to turn Jokic into a scorer rather than allowing him to pass and play make for his teammates like he did in game one here's a clip of what he said I, this is probably oversimplifying things, but sometimes when, when teams play against Jokic, you, you turn him into a scorer, you turn him into a passer, and he controls the game. You, he only had four assists tonight. Yeah, that, that's a ridiculous, you know, it's just, that's the untrained eye that, that says something like that. This guy's an incredible player. You can't just say, oh, make him a scorer. <laughs> that's not how they play. They, they have so many different actions that just get you compromised. Spoh's right to give Denver credit for the way they play and how they just generate offense out of so many different looks, but he didn't really directly answer the question there. Did they try to turn Jokic into a score? He had Steve Kerr on Draymond's pod saying they did that. Jeff Van Gundy on the broadcast saying that's what they did. But here's the facts, though. Here's the stats via second spectrum. Jokic made 68 total passes in game two. Only 13 of them led to a shot attempt. That's his lowest amount of the entire postseason and his second lowest amount at factoring in the regular season as well. He had 12 in a game against the Pacers earlier in the year. The thing is, is Denver's offense is not the problem. They had a 124.1 offensive rating in game two, which is up from 111.8 in game one. The problem for Denver was their defense. They held Miami to a 100 offensive rating in game one. And then in game two, the heat exploded. They had a 129.1 offensive rating. Spolstra made great adjustments. It all started 
Kevin Love, starting with him with size, spacing on offense, and then they had a ton of new wrinkles that they used in their half-court offense. This series is ultimately a battle of the bigs. It starts with Jokic on the Denver side, and then Bam Adebayo, everything he provides on defense and his playmaking on offense. Both of these guys have different journeys to the NBA. Bam Adebayo, 14th pick in 2017. Jokic, of course, 41st in 2014, one of the biggest steals in NBA history. Team's got to be watching the finals right now thinking, how do we get through these guys on the future? Adebayo, his versatility, what he does for Miami's defense, other lessons to be learned. And then with Jokic, I mean, there's nothing you can do about this guy. He's a dominant force, but you're going to have to have a big like Bam to at least be able to contain him or quote unquote, turn him into a scorer or a passer, depending on how you want to play. We know Wemby's going to go first in the 2023 draft. After that, I think we're going to see some teams target bigs that they hope to use in future playoff series against a Miami, against a Denver. So after the break, we're going to talk about the 2023 draft with the non Victor Wembenyama bigs guys that we might see in a future playoff series. Welcome back to Beyond the Arc. Today we're talking about the NBA drafts with the top non-Victor Wembenyama big man. He will be the number one pick going to the San Antonio Spurs, but there are other bigs in this year's class. None of them are going to be better than Wemby, health-related concerns aside. Skill-wise, Wemby's the best, but there are other guys in this year's class that have a chance to stick in the NBA. Derek Lively is the one who comes to mind to me first. He was a top high school recruit, goes to Duke, starts off the season playing pretty horribly. I mean, he couldn't earn consistent minutes. He wasn't reliable on defense. His offense was non-existent. And then suddenly, midway through the year, he's versatile on defense. He's a top shot blocker, intense rebounder, finishing at the rim. Something clicked with Lively that second half of the year that made him look a lot more like the, the player who was a top high school recruit. In high school, he shot more from the perimeter. I'm not sure that's going to be part of his game in the NBA. But it was at least encouraging to see so many of those other qualities come out. And I think at this point, the way he finished that season, he could definitely talk his way into the to the lottery top 14. I think he could be a top 20 guy for sure. When at one point we're talking about him as, oh, maybe should he go back for a second year? But hey, good for him. Finish the year strong. What change would Lively take? I will say at the start of the year, he had Mason Plumley syndrome where he all he could do was dunk the basketball. If it was any shot outside of the paint or a dunk, it, it just felt like it was inevitably going to be a bad result. And I don't know what that was. I don't know if it was mental. I, I mean, you know, obviously jumping up to the college game, there's all sorts of expectations, but it felt like John Shire and give him credit did a great job of kind of releasing him of some of those scoring responsibilities on offense and said, what we need you to do is to be an elite rim protector. We need you. If our guys, Jeremy Roach gets beat off the dribble, you just got to be on the back end side. Kind of what we see with Anthony Davis right now in the playoffs. If you get beat, first guy gets beat. We got someone behind you to take care of it. The Carolina game in Cameron was the game that was the, oh, wow, he is who we thought he was kind of moment for Lively. Felt like he got a lot of confidence in that game in that moment. And from there, you're just saying, if you forecast ahead, you hope he's at the worst, a Nick Richards, a Mason Plumley type. And if he can develop some of that offensive game that we saw in high school, who knows? He could be a guy that should have been a surefire lottery pick. 
Yeah, I, I still think it's it's feasible that he maybe should have gone for another year. But if you think about where teams are probably going to reach for him, it's probably in that like 10 to 20 range, mm-hmm. you know, because it's always a big gamble to take players like him. But I think over the course of the year, we saw, as you said, his role simplified to the point that is probably what he's going to project as going forward. And you have to ask yourself, you have to kind of draw a little spectrum in your mind of <laughs> on this side, we have like a skinny kind of three level hypothetical rim protector is he going to be a nick claxton a robert williams type or is he going to be a willie collie stein type Mm. and i've had people express to me that he's maybe more over here on the willie side i think that the big thing for him is like he was sort of mentally catching up with the game in a way and i had people tell me that maybe he was not done any favors in the way that they play defense for him in lower levels i think he's catching up he's got great instincts in terms of like ambidextrous blocking the ball he targets the ball pretty accurately without fouling a lot of the time but i think he projects as like a hard rim roller like he's going to be a simple player but i don't it it just becomes a question of how like how high is too high to reach for him because he's going to be a long term project i think there are moments that he had at duke this season where he showed like a playmaking instinct like you know finding kickout shooters and he did that in high school as well that i wonder like if you paired him with Trey young with the 15th pick or if Steve Kerr decided to run more pick and roll with Steph like he did during the postseason, pairing him with Steph, get lively going on the short roll. You know, the, you know somebody like that. I wonder if that could unlock a new dimension of Lively's game as well, that, you know, rather than just the hard rolling like a Clint Capella type. I, I think there's, there could be a little bit more there with him. Uh, Tate, is there another prospect uh, in this year's class you think is the is a top big man that could be drafted in the first round? Yeah, I will say congratulations to Wimby. He has been labeled a big. A lot of times when you're that skinny, they want to just call you tall and not a big. Obviously, we <laughs> saw that with Dirk Nowitzki, and he didn't play like a big, so we understand that. But Wimby doesn't play like a big either, but he's considered a big. A guy that I really like is Noah Clowney who was at Alabama with Brandon Miller. I think that he he didn't shoot the percentage-wise great from the three-point line, but I love his form. And for whatever reason, I just feel like it's going to develop. I think that he is fine taking corner threes. I think he's a big body, six foot ten. He's also from Zion's hometown, Zion Williamson, Spartanburg, South Carolina. So I like that little connection there. Um, and in general, I just think Noah Clowney seems to be a really hard-nosed guy. Um, Nate Oates loved coaching him. He multiple times in press conferences talked about Noah Clowney and how much he meant to this team. He didn't get talked about enough, in my opinion. But uh, in general, I just think Noah Clowney is going to be a nice prospect and a nice big. I love Clowney. And like Mm -hmm. he had a stretch the season where he shot 40% from three. And granted, it was just a streak, and he shot very poorly at other moments of the season. It's but it got you, right? Got you, you remember it. Yes. Yeah. I mean, he's hitting corner threes, above-the-break threes. You could see him as a pick-and-pop guy. And defensively, Clowney brings the type of versatility that NBA NBA teams desire. Mm. He can play different schemes. Yeah. And I think if you weigh him against, like, Lively, I think the offensive certainty, I feel a little bit better. I don't feel as queasy about it as I do with Lively. And I, I think Clowney... Um, I think you you hit on it. Yeah, I think I think the mechanics and stuff are are promising. He's a pretty de- he's a decent athlete. I wouldn't say he's a super athlete, but uh, yeah, I think all that's uh, solid. And free throw shooting, right? I mean, he should be a better free throw shooter. He was not in college, and I think uh, based on his form, that will get better because now all he has to worry about is going and working on his game. Trace Jackson Davis is the other guy from Indiana, mm-hmm. senior that could end up going in the first round. Is there anybody internationally, Kyle, that could be a first round pick as a big? Uh, yeah, I have uh, what I call a bargain bin, sort of a. He doesn't. I don't know if he fully like graduates to bargain bin status because he's a dark horse. We'll say that. He, uh, this is uh, James Naji who plays for FC Barcelona. Uh, big, strong frame. Uh, he he's a really fluid mover. Like he, he has really great hip mobility, which makes me think that he could. I've heard people discuss about like 
like how flexible he'll be like in terms of scheme and how you can play him at the next level. But I don't really worry about that. I think he's got a body type in the vein of a of an Akongwu or maybe even an Adebayo. But it is kind of a it's a gamble because offensively he's super raw and he didn't get to really play a whole lot on the team that he was on with FC Barcelona because they were so good. Had a lot of really good former pros like Miritich and Sadoransky. But he seems like somebody, if you have the time and you have the need, um, he strikes me as somebody that could eventually, I mean, he's just a dog. I know that's like an overused word these these days, but like on the offensive and defensive glass and it like pursuing the basketball, um, he's an animal. I just, I, I love his energy. Does he have that type of scheme versatility to play maybe some drop coverage, switch? Is he somebody that could run out to the perimeter and blitz a pick and roll? Yes, I think that he can. He's going to be able to hold his own in open space better than you would think for his size. Like he, he has. It's deceptive how well he can move for how big and strong he is. This, mm. this isn't the strongest year for bigs outside of Victor Wembanyama going one, but I, I like a lot of these guys. I, I think most of them are going to stick around in the NBA. Najee, the one with the biggest question, is a mm-hmm. mysterious international guy, a bit more raw, but. All these other guys in their own way, Lively, Clowney, Tr- Jackson Davis, um, and Najee, I like them all. And all four could end up going in the first round this year. Thank you guys for joining me to talk about some of the non-Wemby bigs. Welcome back to Beyond the Arc. Today we're having a conversation with a fan of the <laughs> Oklahoma City Thunder, Tyler Parker of the Ringer. And Jay Kyle, man, my co-host with the Ringers NBA Draft Show is here as well. Also, you guys do a show together on the Ringer NBA Draft Show, right? Uh, oh, on the Ringer NBA Show, not yes. Draft Show. Yes. We have lately. Yeah, we've yes. been doing some. Uh, yeah, Saturday Reaction Pod, I guess, for the, for the playoffs. Hey, don't let this guy sell, sell you himself short. This is a former college basketball player. This is a, <laughs> this is, he starts, la- he starts guffawing and stuff and, and trying to avoid it, but it, he knows his stuff. He knows I think his anyone stuff. that played against me in college would also guffaw, but that's very sweet <laughs> of you. And you are an OKC Thunder fan. Yes. Hardcore. One of the most passionate OKC Thunder fans I know, Tyler. It, it was, an, you know, a good year of progress for them. SGA, a MVP candidate, all-NBA guy. How are you feeling about the current state of the team for the Thunder? I'm stoked. I mean, it felt like house money a lot this year. It it, it felt like um, it as soon as it became obvious how good Shea was, um, especially after the Chet injury, there was some kind of like, you know, there was some deflation, right? There was like, a, oh man, you're so excited to see how all these pieces fit together. And then all of a sudden Chet's out. And so you're kind of like, well, okay, let's see what this, let's see what the, the Jalen Williamses can do. But there wasn't as much like, oh, this is going to be a fun little Rubik's cube to try to figure out how all the, all this stuff meshes. And then once SGA, it was clear like, oh, he's gone leap and a half. Then it became like, oh, because it felt like it raised the ceiling of the team, not just obviously in the immediate, but going forward in the future that all those sort of concerns like, well, I wonder if Chet can't be a primary scoring option for a team. Doesn't even matter now. The, those those sorts of little mysteries that you thought you were going to, okay, we'll like start to get our first little answers here early on, like what's Chet like off the bounce? you know, how, how are Giddy and Shea meshing, all that sort of stuff. All those concerns really fell by the wayside once it became like, oh, this is an all-NBA dude now. Because now, Kyle, it's all about how everything orbits around Shea Gildas-Alexander. Check comes back, he's running pick and pops, he's rolling to the basket. The way SGA improved this year, how, how, how has it changed your evaluation of the trajectory OKC is on? 
I think it's multifaceted. I think I think that is a huge facet within that conversation is the fact that you know they're one of the most lethal downhill teams in the league, and you got to and you, we'll talk more about what they need to be thinking about in terms of like fleshing out your their roster. But Tyler's absolutely right that like his his establishing of um, himself as like a legitimate primary in the league. I mean, his bag off the bounce is just unstoppable. You can't stay in front of him. He's he doesn't attack you with this just like electric like full you know pedal to the metal pace. He puts you in he puts you in jail with his herky jerkiness. And I think the other part of that is that they have they have a three headed monster, a, a tandem of these ball handlers that are all big. You know, the smallest one of the three of them is uh, well, I, I guess you could say Jalen and, and Shea are roughly the same height, but sure. long wingspans. You have Josh Giddy also that is a bruising big physical guy who's shooting the ball a little bit better and is a, just a virtuosic passer. So I think it's both. I think it's the primary part and the fact that they can just hit you from all angles with these weird arrhythmic ball handlers. Isn't that what makes them? I mean, a a fun watch, right? But also, like, if you're thinking about when they do all develop into their primes of their careers and they add some more pieces through the draft and whatnot, they have the 12th pick this year. It's like, oh, my God, they have five guys on the floor, all big. Jalen Williams has size. Josh Giddy, 6'8", 6'9", like you said, a bruiser. They have so many different guys that can generate offense and attack mismatches that – you plan ahead like they're like they truly could be the definition of positionless basketball. There's a lot of malleability there, and it's a lot of guys that don't mind being the screener sometimes. Yeah, selfless which, team, which makes it makes them so difficult to deal with. Whenever you've really just really all you need is a couple of those guys going at the same time. And it really makes things tough if they put Jalen Williams, Santa Clara, Jalen Williams in the center there as the screener. He's oper- operating out of these short rolls. He's got great touch in there. Fantastic playmaker. If they put Giddy there, all the same story. And he's even taller. It can see over people. A bunch of lives become available. They'll put Shea there. And he's operating against, you know, a broken defense who doesn't know where he's going to go. He just gets all the more devastating. That I mean, it's one of the reasons that he gets fouled so often is because he's thrilled to be in the lane, right? Um, so yeah, I mean, just the, that, that they can all do everything and that they're all willing to, I think sometimes when you see these dynamic players that get teamed up together, everybody gets pumped up at the idea of a pick and roll with them. The idea of these two dudes working together and figuring it out, right? Like Devin Booker and Kevin, or, or, uh, uh, Devin Booker and Kevin Durant, these two dudes, like, obviously they work well as a tandem shot making and stuff, but maybe they're not playing two man game as much as we would have liked them to whenever the trade goes down and everybody gets frothing at the mouth about it. It's cool that they have guys that are willing to go be a screener, willing to create some action on a weak side that makes the stuff that's actually supposed to be happening all the more dangerous because you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. I mean, and isn't that what's going to make it such an easy transition for Chet Holmgren to come in right away? Like he is at, you know, you see him as freshman year at Gonzaga. We know what he can do on defense. It's a shot blocker. You know, he's going to be probably be more of a, maybe a four sometimes with OKC. If they add another beefy big next to him, allow him to roam off ball, Robert Williams style to account for the fact that he's lean, but offensively, I mean, he can pass a bit. He's a selfless player. He's He can screen and roll hard to the rim for lobs. He can pick and pop for three, attack closeouts, make the right play. It just it like you just look at Oklahoma City with the guys that they have right now, and it's it's like you said, it, you don't have to imagine it with what they already have. You really don't even have to think hard about it with Chet. It's it's just really about some of these upside guys, the Usman Jengs of the world that they totally. just gamble on. You have to imagine it with them, but. 
across the roster for the most part. I mean, like they they just they got pieces, man, and then the Pokus of the world, sure. the Jengs of the world, these guys that could maybe blossom into either high level role players or maybe even much better than that. And Poku last year, you know, he had the injury that that slowed down his his very impressive development over the course of the season. Good defender. Yes. Good spot up shooter. Still extremely young. Yeah, too. he's still extremely just a baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, I mean, Poku, Poku was, uh, you felt, I felt, I was feeling really good about him there for and a little he got bit. Hurt. And then he, yeah, the, the, yeah. The, the leg injury was really, I mean, you, you, you saw, I think the exciting thing with him was you saw even Dagnalt changing the way that he would talk about him after games. Like yes. he would, he, he, he would talk about Poku as a guy who they weren't really as worried about, right? Like he was, he, he, he was somebody who was figuring things out defensively. He was, he was really wound up being really solid and particularly as a rim protector on the back end with some stuff, he could really make some things happen. Him and Chet um, together could be fun. It would be so fun. It Chet, Chet, I'm so excited to watch Chet because Shea hasn't had like a lob threat since Steven Adams first year there. And that was, that wasn't the athletic, you know, 2015, 2016 Adams that was going up and getting stuff at the square, right? Like it was a different thing. Chet giving Giddy and Shay a toy like Chet to just go play with and figure stuff out, especially because he's going to be the type of guy that at least it seems like defenses are going to have to play straight up. They won't be able to play him like he's constantly fading or constantly rolling, right? That it's going to have to be kind of an honest situation there is exciting. And I think is going to um, fit very well with all the other stuff that they do well. Absolutely. I mean, and this year they they didn't move up in the lottery. They had the 12th highest odds. They ended up with the 12th pick. They also have 37 and 53 in this year's draft. 100 coming over the next seven years. It seems like Sam Presti is going to have the ability to toy with, with OKC Kyle right now. They're a young team. You know, they competed for the play in this year. I mean, they made a, they made a nice run at towards the end of the season, especially SGA. Unbelievable. Those should be better next year on paper. You know, you get Chet back, you assume development for the other young guys, you know, still got Lou Dort, Jeremiah Robinson Earl. I mean, there's a lot of good talent across the roster aside from the guys we're even talking about. With OKC, they feel like the team that at some point Presti's going to be ready to strike. Like he's going to be ready to go out and get a star player or even just a role player for one of his many future firsts in order to bolster what they already have. When you're when you're kind of ranking the top, you know, futures of the NBA, the Thunder have to be, you know, near the top if not number one, considering their talent on the roster, but also all the flexibility pressure he's going to have, right? Yeah, it's an interesting team because you'll see these teams that try, the extremes of it are the teams that are trying to juggle two timelines at once. We're trying to win now. We're also trying to develop like the Warriors try it. The very rarely works. And it's weird. It's unusual to have a team of guys that are really kind of all on that. You know, Shea's kind of the elder statesman among, <laughs> the, among them in the 2018 draft. And they're all kind of on the same timeline and they're all competent in Enough. It's it speaks to the job that the culture there, the drafting job that they've done. But there is still stuff to do, and I think I think if you look at them, they have enough assets. We just rattled off all. We didn't. Even, I mean, Jing, we barely. We Arkansas Jalen Williams, we barely talked about yeah. him. That's another guy. They have all these guys that that you could sort of package together if you see an opening. For me, I mean. Trey Mann, another one. Another one. Yes, my namesake. Uh, Another (laughs) guy that, like, I can't quite shake off the dribble like Trey Mann, but, you know, uh, he, 
it makes you wonder where they're going to aim that at because I would I would want to keep that guard trio attack because it's so unique. It's such a pain to deal with, like Tyler described in detail vividly there. I would think if you could get rim protection with some like with some spacing, you would think that that could potentially you know, they were one of the lower ranked, like percentile wise spot up teams in the league last year. Um, they're more of a downhill team. If you could add some shooting and add it in the front court, that would see that would seem like a two birds, one stone thing that they should do. I mean, what, what do we think that they should do? Uh, so, I mean, I think I think you're right. Uh, you know, if you can add that at the front court, it'd be super beneficial. Shooting in general seems to be the one thing that Oklahoma City could could use. Would you agree there, Ky- uh, Tyler, that that's the number one need for the Thunder? I think so. I mean, that 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 feels in terms of just adding pieces that will amplify the other dudes that feels that feels right. I don't I there's such an interesting case because I don't know if they will. I don't think that they're going to I think they will pull their assets and go after somebody later rather than sooner, if that makes sense. I in in the in in. Sam Presti's uh, sort of, you know, end of season presser. He talked drummers. Yeah, he did talk drummers. <laughs> yes, it. Um, yeah, he had great. He had great stuff about drummers. We were talking about that. The um, uh, but he was he he was very adamant that they didn't even know what they they don't even know what they have yet. Basically, that you know they have this piece in Chet, right? This this guy that projects to 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 be very. Uh, really fill all the gaps that they have as an offense and a defense, aside from some of the perimeter shooting, it seems like he fills those. I think that they are going to try to see how they look at the beginning of next year and see how they gel and go together. I, I, I could I could definitely see them playing other bigs next to Chet for sure at different times because you have to be able to be flexible in that way in today's NBA if you want to wind up being a contender that can go deep you got to be able to play multiple ways but I really think that he they want him at center largely well, and they're yeah I mean don't don't they feel like a team that because of that flexibility you're talking about that they could become a team that has that flexibility in the playoffs I mean and plus they have a coach in Mark Dagnall I mean I had him on my top three coach of the year ballot this totally. year I thought he was absolutely sensational at pulling strings throughout the year, positioning players to succeed. I I think Dagnall is one of the best coaches in basketball. And if you give him pieces and you keep adding pieces, I I think OKC is going to be one of those teams that can play any way they want to and run their offense through anybody they want to and play any scheme on defense. It kind of does. It kind of feel like, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it kind of feels like not to compare them to like one of the greatest like lightning strikes and perfect basketball situation happens here because this would be the top end result. But like the way that the Warriors had something that was ahead of schedule and they played it out and then they were like, okay, let's go get this perfect connective piece like an Iguodala or a Bogut. I don't know who those are on the landscape, but it seems like that's maybe you got something that's working and maybe just wait and see and then we and then we make a move yeah i think i that that that, that's that seems right to me and how i imagine they're going to approach the situation the thing that i one of the things that i love about dagnalt is is he's going to tinker he's going to figure out if something works i mean he's a madman with some of these lineups he'll try stuff in playing (laughs) games that lineups that haven't ran ran for you know 50 minutes in a year it's it, it uh it, it I, the the thunder had the opposite of that for years with Scott Brooks, a dude who was terrified to make any sort of adjustments whatsoever, even when they were staring him at, 
in the face in huge moments as obviously the best move, right? Like the, the, the blatant one is in the finals against the Heat uh, in 2012 whenever you keep starting Perk, whenever clearly you need to start Ibaka and put Durant at the four and he doesn't do that. But you that their Thunder fans have dealt with dealt with that for so long that this is a refreshing change. Somebody who will actually try to figure out like, okay, what works, what doesn't work. I mean, he, they were, they were doing wild Kenrich Williams at the five lineups this year. Oh yeah, so, baby. So fun. Speaking <laughs> my language. With the, with like plus minus through the roof, you know, like doing it and it was working and stuff like that. And so it, it I, Dagnalt's teams thus far have played super duper hard, which is not the only thing that's important for a coach, but it feels gigantic. It's one of the reasons I like Spolster so much because just his teams, you know, when it matters, really show up. Um, and Dagnalt feels like he has that ability to just get guys that'll actually go, you know? Aside from, you know, the Wemby factor in San Antonio. Right. Aside from that, OKC, if you're factoring an entire roster, I think they have the brightest future in the NBA. It, I mean, I you know, I, I can't be trusted when it comes to stuff like that. I'm such a homer <laughs> with them. And I, so, I mean, I'm I'm thrilled about them. If I I I love what Orlando's done, and they're I, up there too. Yeah. I, I I'm a I'm a big Paolo guy. Um, and you know, Franz is fantastic, and it's been exciting to see what Fultz has become down there. And um, I I'm I'm excited about them. I'm I've not given up on Suggs. I think that they've got a super duper fun team that projects to play basketball that is very hard for defenses to figure out once mm-hmm. all those guys are operating really, really humming Franz and Paolo once they've really figured out each other. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the Thunder have, uh, have a, a fantastic future ahead of them right now. And it's, it's been, it's been super fun to watch it all just sort of develop and that it's, that they've continued to find pieces to add to these, fun dudes has been exciting and you also have a book coming out soon i do yes yeah i wrote a novel um yeah it comes out june 13th it's called a little blood and dancing you can pre-order it now um but i said i don't know when this will show up maybe it's already available i don't know when this <laughs> broadcasts but yeah it's a, yeah it's a novel um modern western set in oklahoma and uh yeah we're just enjoying knowing you while we can because he's yeah. just gonna ascend into space <laughs> Oh yeah, uh, it's, just, his his star is just going. It's you know his rocket's going to the moon. <laughs> I, don't, I I I like Earth. I think we'll find out. <laughs> you don't want to be one of the first on Mars. I'm good, man. It seems like there's nothing up there. They keep yeah. going up there. They haven't really found much, right? We've kicked the tires on yeah. Mars. I'm Where fine. I've seen the pictures. But, it looks like there's you know a lot of space, but yeah, not a ton to do. May, maybe in a couple generations. Yeah, you know, fingers. Maybe crossed. not though. Yeah. <laughs> Tyler, I I look forward to reading your book. Kyle, Tyler, thank you for joining me today on Beyond the Arc. Thanks for having me, buddy.